Well, this week for the Software Defined Talk Members Only Podcast White Paper Exegesis episode, have I been getting the ordering of that words of those words correct, Brandon? I need to Gosh, go check. No, you can't you can't ask me to fact check important <laughs> things like that. I have no idea. I can barely say the entire name of this podcast, much less get the right order. That's right. That's right. Well, I think this is episode five. First of all, once we get to episode six, I will be very impressed. But I'm impressed we've gone this far. This is this is this is quite the thing. I was I was putting the number and I was like, wow. Has it been five episodes already? It doesn't feel like it. But, uh, well, I, l- let me back up. Let me double back up. First, we have to get through this episode. Then we'll have had five episodes. But I'm, I feel confident. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like we're going to make it. Yeah, no, that's good. So we have, we have I think, I think a, a uh, other than my presentation, which was an excellent specimen of, a specimen of anything you could do in this space. But uh, I, think, I think we have our first truly excellent specimen of, of uh, a, a, a white paper here, if you will. And that is, this was sent in, of course, by uh, Matt Ray, who you may be familiar with from our normal uh, Software Defined Talk episode. And it is the, it is Chef's Continuous Automation colon Measuring Digital Transformation. Now, uh, I read through this paper uh, early this morning. I have the uh, the kit alarm clock, if you're familiar with that. Uh, so I had some time this morning to look through it. And uh, it, it does occur to me that despite it being an excellent specimen, that the title is a little misleading. Now, as we can get into metrics when it comes to the digital and any of this stuff are always, they're a, um, they're a combination of a, a snipe and a MacGuffin and an actual usefulness thing, which is to say, like, they're often meaningless and they're a motivating force to do the right thing. And occasionally they're actually useful, um, to explain my, my metaphors there. Um, and they don't actually cover metrics very much. And then, and then I'm kind of I'm kind of defeating my own opening argument here. Uh, but in fact, when they use metrics, they just lift them from the DevOps report. So I wouldn't get uh, too tied up in the metric part, right? The measuring part is just an illusion. I think more of of how this paper is useful is it in in uh, in, in an odd number of papers, fifteen pages. It makes the argument that you should care about digital stuff and gives you a pretty good tactical list of things to start doing at the the people level. And, of course, tools that begin with the letter C that you should start looking uh, to use. Right. Uh, but, but now why I, I want to drill down like the the name. So you're saying you do not like the continuous automation for the continuous enterprise. Well, continuous uh, automation name? is fine. It's the measuring Right, like measuring implies mm-hmm. there's like a metric. Now, I guess I guess I'm over, a little over rotating. There are some measurements as far as like how digital are you. So maybe measuring is ambiguous, but th- that makes it worse, right? Like you don't want an ambiguous title, right? Like, I mean, I I think I think they could have gone with a title that would just be like you know, c- continuous automation colon digital transformation would have been fine, right? Like like I think your title either need for this kind of stuff, right? Like it's not it's not like you're writing a fiction book and you're like you know coming up with some fanciful thing right like hills like white elephants what the fuck is that i guess that's a short story but who's paying that close of attention to the dribble that comes out of my mouth uh but you know like you either want it to be just like a a a pleasant little bump along the way a nudge or you want it to be like laser specific what's this thing about right so continuous automation great got it right i'm pretty sure like that's a chef phrase i went and googled for it and i think there's some testing company that uses that too but so sure good I, that's that's clear enough that I understand continuous delivery, continuous integration, continuous automation. Oh, what's this? Right? There's two great words in our space at the moment. And then uh, you know, digital transformation. Sure, that's uh, I know what that means. Right? If you're listening to this podcast, you're like, I I don't bristle at that. I'm not a hacker news asshat. Right? Like I know exactly what that means. Let's go. Right? But then you throw the word measuring in there, and you're like, all right, so. This is going to help me measure how digital my organization is, or it's going to be the metrics that I use when I'm doing this transformation. What's going on here? So, I don't know. That's my uh, analysis of the title. Okay, okay. I think that's that that that's fair. Um, but I I don't know the um... can't get off slide one syndrome. That's what's going on here. <laughs> I don't. Well, I was going to say, like, where do you stand on alliteration? Mm. Do you do you, do you, uh, do you I, like it? I no, always like favor it. alliteration. I I think oh, okay, okay. Let me let me let me uh, let me uh, beyond self-aggrandizing. Uh, I think I think uh, that alliteration that's 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 good. But first, you need to step back and say, am I going to have a style 
in the rhetoric that I'm doing? Or am I going to be antiseptic and corporate, right? So this is a big, good, good question. Now, this, this paper, like, other than my talk, all the stuff that we've read is anesthetic and, and antiseptic, right? Like it's just it's, the tone is level. This one is a, a little more joyous, but it's it's uh, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't really uh, have style to it. So, sure. All right. Well, I'm a big fan of uh, alliteration. I don't know, but I don't know. Like I like phrases that, that use it, so I was just like – um, so that's why I was like, you know, when I see like continuous automation for the continuous enterprise, like, like I actually like the phrase, I was going to credit the people at Chef that continuous enterprise, I like it because it's not a cliche. Like I don't hear the word continuous enterprise use, used a lot. It does uh, ring in my ears, like kind of some like, I can do th- stuff faster, better, so, which is, I think, what the purpose of. So um, it's just kind of like a good shorthand. I do think that phrase does a really good job. So yeah. kudos to them. And then the other thing I wanted to say before we jumped into the content, because we don't normally talk about that because we're 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 uh, we're content people, but I do want to just compliment Chef. I think the Chef brand. And, you know, branding is something I always feel like I never truly understand. But like, and when I say brand, I'm talking about like. The colors, the style, the like, the swag, and I think even in this, like the just the color and the way they've kind of styled this paper, like it's it's super consistent with the Chef mm, brand, which yeah. I think is very distinctive. Like, um, I, I just you know I do you know I do think DevOps itself is a big, you know, well understood, you know, process we talk a lot about, but I do think Chef and the brand does start to stand out more and more in that category um than yeah. some of the competitors and i think whoever so just kudos to like like brand is something that is usually complained about like people are always like why are we like <laughs> like why are people so mad that the powerpoint template has this color palette and we're supposed mm. to use it but when you see it done right and i do think having been to their trade show this year and some of those other stuff like they are particularly good at it i think they have one advantage is they're a smaller company so anytime you're a little bit smaller it's like i think a little bit easy to keep everybody on brand and use the right brand but uh when it's done right, I think it's really effective. So I think there, this is a good example of of a uh, paper that's consistent with brand, and I think Chef is a good example of a company that has a very strong brand at this point. Yeah, yeah, and and then and then real time follow up, as you pointed out. Actually, I got the title wrong. I was going off the blog post that I got this from, and and the blog post more fits the uh, the criteria of, of what I was talking about. It does it does talk about measurements, but you're right, you're right. The paper and and my whole rant is just uh, the uh, the inverse. Uh, of of it's an inverse argument for the title continuous automation for the continuous enterprise now that's good that's a good title right there right and uh yeah so it would have been bad if they labeled it what i thought they did <laughs> all right <laughs> so okay. so my apologies to the pdf lords for uh right. saying, and I think we saying can all, the wrong thing so like maybe we'll defend that blog post title only slightly it's like there's probably like a little seo well a b testing of a blog yeah. post title and it's like well you know let's jam uh let's jam a little uh, measuring into it because that, that maybe is producing better right this is just this is the problem with like newspaper headlines when you see like the actual newspaper headline when it's been printed and then the article online you're like ooh, a b testing not always a good thing yeah yeah so, yeah so right. uh yeah yeah no and, and then and then following up on what you were saying right i think um you know, I, I don't really know when this began, but I, I so, sometime in the late 2000s, when uh, when the kids, the the millenniums, and maybe whoever's right before them, the the hipsters, as it were, started getting involved in senior positions at startups. Like the uh, the branding really improved. Like things were not so awesome before that, but uh, every now and then in a fancy keynote thing, you would see some cool branding. But you know, around the the sort of like. Mm, open core bevy of startups like puppet and chef and other people there and 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 of course like github and and then docker all your contemporary people their their branding is nice like they have they've kind of reinvented at least in our software space i think branding being done very well so that's good stuff they're consistent you know another thing that's good is they uh they generally use clip art that's like real <laughs> from from their offices and stuff the you see this particularly in the devops reports where uh, there's a very conscientious or I guess conscientious and conscious effort to uh, to have like not just like some sort of like old white dude and, and a lady in a pantsuit pointing at each other. Right. So that's refreshing. Well, I do think, you know, one 
like little uh, workplace hack for getting good clip art art is like most places there's somebody that's like a closet photographer if not a full-on professional photographer it's like if you just tell them to like bring their camera to the office or outings or have it around and then you know just take a bunch of pictures and then like throw them up you know in like a, a, a share that everyone can get to it's like it's an easy way to get you know unique clip art right that is obviously custom and usually i just feel like every group of 10 people now has somebody that's good as a photographer i mean they come from all backgrounds so there's just somebody who's got like this dlsr at home and it just like wants to use it so if you give them yeah. permission like hey spend a couple hours at the conference or walking around or at the company outing or just in your life taking pictures and put them all up here and we'll use them and that's it's an awesome way to get good good slides yeah yeah all right so let me let me summarize the content here and then, and then we'll go to the uh the sort of macro and micro level of, of commenting on it and and tell me tell me if i get this right uh and and you know add in your summary but so the paper our journey starts right like uh it starts off with basically uh and 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 you know at, let, let me stop myself here first of all think about um the way you would structure your work doing this and the patterns that you're using for getting, putting this together. And this is what I would call a, um, I don't know. I, I think it's not quite what I would call a cut and paste paper, but it is a paper that very well delivers on not having to commission original research for this paper. And they do draw upon the chef survey, which is originally research that they've done. But it also pulls from, as I'll get into, some McKinsey stuff and the DevOps report. So this is the kind of thing, not that I would have ever done this or still do this, that you can just sort of like sit down and find stuff on the web and pull it together and, and make it work out well. It's, it's kind of the metaphoric equivalent of like, we should have gone grocery shopping three days ago. These kids got to eat. What the fuck's in the fridge? Right. And you just like throw <laughs> something together. So but it's done very well. Right. Um, so it starts off pulling from a McKinsey study that has. You know, anytime you see like a, a double bar chart graph with a dotted line on it, you know you're dealing with pros. So that's good work right there. Uh, and the McKinsey study posits that in the study that we did, and you have to go dig around to find, they don't really publish the methodology, but they got a couple of stuff. I think it's like 2,500 organizations that McKinsey drew this from. And basically their whole point is across um, revenue growth, uh, operating profit, which is EBIT. I don't know why people don't like EBITDA anymore. I don't know whatever happened to amortization, but whatever. Uh, and and then return to shareholder, which I guess is like the combination of dividends and increased share price over some uh, span of time. But basically, every financial metric a company would care about, <laughs> um, you know, profit, top line, bottom line, and uh, and making sure the executives can afford a uh, chateau in in Swiss Switzerland, if that's how they say it. Um, but across all those metrics, there is a studied increase for those who do digital. Now, how this is determined beyond correlation and causation, and all sorts of stuff, McKinsey doesn't really ever say. And it is a little fishy, but maybe we'll get to that later. So anyways, you should be doing digital because it's going to make you work out better. And this is, I guess, in B2B companies, so not, not consumer companies. So then the question becomes, uh, so what does that mean? What are you going to do to be digital? And essentially what um, – well, you're going to be a continuous enterprise. Am I right? So uh, so that what that means is you're going to need uh, teams that are independent and they're delivering software more frequently. I'm kind of busting into my pivotal stump speech a little bit here too much. But it's all – they say the word cloud native in here, so it's all kind of running together. Um, <laughs> I'm and, sure they appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean I, I have to admit over the years I have stolen much of my rhetoric from chef rhetoric, right? Like I even say mm -hmm. the phrase software-defined business a lot, which I don't think they ever uh, – there was like that was like a stillborn white paper I ghost wrote for him once. I'll have to see if they ever publish that. But um, uh, anyways, so you got to put your DevOps teams in place, which means you need to have this stack of automating everything. Oh hey, it's Chef, right? Which is fine, right? And then they also they also come up with some metrics that they lift from the DevOps report. Again, you're going to the fridge to make a meal, um, and they pick. I think the three metrics they pick out are like uh, cycle time and and um, failure rate in uh, your deploys and some other good metrics that you want to see. And they also kind of correlate that as the DevOps report does to um, what are the percentages of, of failure rates and times that you deploy based on the high performers as the DevOps report puts it. Um, and then finally, you get the uh, the burger chart at the end, which is the, um, and I think this has been in development for 
Matt Ray could probably tell us, but the last two or three years in Chef Land is they've come up with the platform burger that they have, uh, that is the Chef Automate portfolio, which I think that's one of the interesting kind of to get into the kind of like point by point stuff after you want to add any summary there. Like, um, one of the more interesting things to notice in here is that Chef Now, along with their awesome branding, has a very clear portfolio, which is, um, you buy Chef Automate, which bundles together whatever Chef machine thing is. It's not called machine, but the core chef. And then you have Habitat, which I kind of understand, the way you package things up and manage the packing and I think wire them right. together. For containers. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then yep, you have yep. InSpec, which is like now we can have the meeting with the enterprise audit. big shots. It's the audit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now 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 we can meet with the auditors and the security people. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Which which is like don't don't get my tone wrong. That's no, a good combination. Yeah, which that, is that very that, important. Yeah, like I, I've covered chefs since they've been around, and um, I think I think that's good. That's a good place for them to be at to have their shit together. Uh, you could go so wise. far, you know. I think you could go so far to say like chefs' future success in a lot of ways. I think is dependent upon like the adoption of inspect and more, uh, and it's not just adoption of the product, but like really spreading the the DevOps mantra to the worlds of audit and security mm. in a way that. It's a second nature to talk about DevOps with that community as it is with today's, you know, cloud native developers or full stack developers and operations people. So, yeah. so good yeah. luck to Chef. Hopefully and and there, there's a uh, there's a there's a good episode of Arrested DevOps where uh, the folks on that they the folks on there they have um, one of Matt one of the co-hosts actually works at Chef and he is in post sales and then I, I forget her name unfortunately but they have they have someone who's in pre-sales <laughs> and they're they're the post and pre-sales people around inspect and then they also have i think it's matt curry they have from allstate or it might be someone else but anyways they have a discussion of exactly your point how um audit and compliance is this interesting wormhole for the advancement of devops and uh, it's worth worth checking that out over there on the arrested devops and of course bridget is on there as well so uh you can go check that out but i don't know would, would do you have anything to add to that uh general summary of the uh the content there i wanted to do the uh the uh the sort of plotsy and sarah cliff summary i think it's paper. good i think right i think they yeah yeah i think they did a good job and of course they bring it home with a case study and we'll talk about that in a minute mm. so they they try to sort of like make it all real at the end and then you know um hopefully uh Hopefully you're ready to have a conversation with Chef after reading it. It's clearly yeah. the call to action. So no, that, that's, I mean, it's a very good summary. That's a good trend. So, so how about because I can talk the whole time, but but tell tell uh, tell me like who who are, who is this for and tactically what's it going to be used for on both sides of the uh, you know you always got us peanut gallery people and analysts so whatever never I mean they're kind of a valid constituency but who who are the people consuming this and what are they going to be doing with it. Well, I think it's clearly, you know, at the the level of one of two uh, two people. One person is sort of probably already kind of made the the leap. They're like, this is definitely where we need to go, and they're looking to kind of forward a paper around that people you know, kind of get a sense of what it does. And then, you know, really any, I think, you know, in this case, like kind of back to what we were saying before, like this is the kind of paper probably that should be sent to like a CISO like a director of security, right? Somebody that, you know, maybe knows a little bit about DevOps or has heard some of it. Um, certainly the auditor, somebody that sort of like wants to take it in and understand like, like what exactly are they talking about? Like, you know, what does this actually mean and what are we actually going to do? So I think that this is sort of, you know, at 15 pages and it's, it's a really, you know, I guess we can talk about it in a second. Like they've done a really good job making it very scannable, skimmable with bullets, and I mean that in the most sincere, flattering way. Like someone can really kind of like get through this. Like I could argue mm. you could just read page three. Um, like page three is like your Blinkist style of this entire paper. Like you could probably read just page three and be like, got what I needed. You know what I mean? And then yeah. if you want to go. So I think, you know, if you're trying to move somebody from, I've heard about DevOps, you've been in my office talking about these tools like Chef and Jenkins, and I'm at least open to hearing more, you would send this guy like, hey, read this over. It gives you a sense of what they're doing and why it's important. And that's why, obviously, they have this the business stats sort of leading the way. That's clearly their attempt using the McKinsey stuff to get the attention of an executive. Yeah. Now, I will have to say, like, I like this paper. It did well. 
but I do not like this McKinsey stuff. Like I just, I, this is the one place and it was on four and I was like, Oh man, I got like 11 pages left, you know? And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Right. So like, I know why it's yeah. here, but it like it, to be honest with them, like it doesn't really strike me as credible, credible. Like, and maybe no McKinsey statistic does. Like it's just like okay, like you read this and you're like, it just feels like kind of a made up thing. And I don't think this has anything to do with my life or my company. Yeah. Um. So while I know it's used a lot in industry, like this format, I don't, I don't think it's particularly effective, right? And then the one, you know, like if I was to like really jump in and you know kind of dive in on this, I would say something like. Listen, none of this stuff matters. Like what matters is if you've got like product market fit. So just give me like give me a company that's like got product market fit with like old old bad processes with like waterfall development and like a sales team that's dysfunctional and infighting. And I'll take that over like a really well uh, running continuous automation company that's sort of like off in the weeds with like a yeah. product nobody wants. So that's why I always think this McKinsey stuff. It's like, you know, all McKinsey reports can come down to this. They found product market fit. They're doing really well, you know. And then, you know, and then from that, you can glean anything you want from the successful companies. Yeah. You can I, grab I, I, them, so, so just a rat hole on that a lot because I think this the the I I think I think I think to your point, this this chart is what makes this a uh, an A minus A instead of an A plus <laughs> paper, if you will, right? And. And, and, and then we should, we'll, we'll get back to the, the audience, uh, thing and the, t and what they would do. But like, um, yeah, this kind of stuff is hard, right? And, and it come the first reason it's hard is that it's very tempting and also equally risky to use survey data from vendors, right? And you may not think as McKinsey as a vendor, but they have something to sell you, right? Like, and so like, there, there are people like to give to give IBM a compliment. IBM is pretty good at being legit in the the CIO studies that they do, right? Like they've been doing them long enough, and obviously they're self serving. The answer is you should buy more computers, <laughs> right, <laughs> and software. <laughs> right, sure. But yes, but because they have this longevity of doing it, you can kind of like with a half of an education filter through it, and it makes sense, right? It's a good survey of what's going on. Equally, I think another good example is like the Thought ThoughtWorks does this annual. We were talking about this last episode. You know, the the, th the hype cycle thing they do is pretty good and whatever. But the issue that you have that I always have with stuff like this is it's so you know over twenty five organizations. It's so big picture that it's kind of not very useful. And without knowing the methodology, it's not very good. And you know, not to mention that. Um, like, where do they have at, at at some point they also derive, I forget if it's the McKinsey study, but they derive some things like, you know, these companies are like 17% better. <laughs> I guess that's from the chef survey, which is, which is another thing. But like, I don't know, like without more data, this stuff is a little, it's not convincing enough. So. Right. Where, and I think whereas, the point I would like, yeah. I was going to say just to like, you know, how you can make this better. And I I would love to see the industry move to kind of like a more honest, direct tone is to say, listen, business is hard, right? There are no guaranteed results. Like every mm -hmm. business book, every process, every product that's being sold to you usually starts out with like companies that don't do this perform worse, right? But like the reality of what we're all trying to do when we're selling anything is just to try to give people like, hey, this will help improve your odds, right? Like I'm not here to promise you if you do this, if you do Agile, your company's gonna be successful or DevOps or anything. We're just trying to say to you like, if you do this, it raises your odds, you know, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 30%, right? Because you're gonna be able to do stuff faster and get stuff out there faster. But ultimately, the success of a failure on a business has a lot of factors involved. So let's not, you know, let's not always come in there and say we have the right answer for everything, you know? Yeah. And I know, and I think sometimes like people will reject that. Like people will say that's not strong enough. That's not right. But I actually think when people say it, it's yeah. more authentic, right? And it comes, like I'm listening harder when somebody says that than I am when someone shows me glossy statistics. So that's yeah, my plug yeah. for like being more open and authentic with what you think you can really help somebody with. Yeah. And I think if we were to pull from um, like the social sciences, 
Like I think anyone, any therapist or anyone helping somebody with like uh, mental wellness uh, or anything would say something like, you're having a big problem right now. I don't have the answers for you, but I have a way that we can talk about it to help you think about your problem, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's almost universally accepted that how doctors you know, treat people and it's like, why, why we have to stop being human beings, right? And then when we read a paper, it's like, you know, like, let's not be that way. Let's just like think about how we think about everything else. So yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I mean, I, I remember what I was going to say before I started talking last time. <laughs> and 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 I I think it's again it's worth over rotating on this because this is like a pivotal point in the paper right like like uh if if you're like I don't know as you were saying like if you encounter this and you're like fuck I've got more pages to read then you might like if if this like puts a turd in your punch bowl then it might ruin the rest of it but um first of all like I'd use this chart. <laughs> <laughs> right like like this i would use this in a heartbeat and I, I might actually use it it's it's good like this is an even other like to go down the stack more it's good it's it's also it's equally good because it's always dicey to use a i mean in in a pretty effective way chef can be considered a competitor more or less of, of pivotal not completely but but enough that it's annoying <laughs> right um it's a it's a share of wallet competitor to be sure um right uh so I don't really want to use the chef survey because if you haven't heard of chef, I don't want you to more or less. Right. Um, but this, since it's not from chef, I can go to McKinsey and use that. McKinsey's not threatening at all. So, uh, that's some good raw material that I could use to help make this point. Now, the other thing is I think, um, and this may sound demeaning, but it's sort of like, if you're just like a mainstream person who doesn't pay at least a dollar a month to listen to two people dissect a white paper, this might be perfectly fine for you, <laughs> right? You're like it is. No, 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 no. And and, and, and so, but but I but I think I think what we're what you and I are circling around is the um, the 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 pragmatic utility of it, which which is exactly what you're saying is like, look who knows how these bar charts were aligned and I, this i come up this question gets asked maybe every 1.5 times in a talk i gave i gave one last night and it was asked and it was like so why should i do any of this <laughs> right like how can you prove to me that like i should be suffering through all of this for growth and you you know you you were giving part of the answer there and it's like um like, honestly, if you're in some sort of like, let's set set the government aside, they have different motivations. But if you're in some sort of like literal or metaphoric monopolist position and you don't really need to improve, then our meeting should be done. Like, I have nothing to tell you, right? Like, you, you should just keep reaping the benefits of what you have unless you actually have a need to improve how your business is running um, with software. Doesn't matter, right? Like, digital means nothing to you, except... You should probably virtualize everything and move your stuff to SaaS because then you'll affect your EBIT because it'll be more optimized. <laughs> but that's about it, right? Like that's a whole – those call in the virtual desktop people, <laughs> metaphorically. Call in the SaaS people and uh, they'll do things for you. But um, yeah, so if you want to be overly honest, whenever you use a chart like this, you need to caveat it. And, and tactically, as you're saying, Brandon, um, that aw shucksness uh, – buys you a lot of credibility and and makes it so you can continue the meeting and it also heads off at and the pass a bunch of counter arguments that will waste your, your and i will also say like in, in, i was gonna say in fairness too like it is like the all shucks routine is much better delivered in person mm. right like standing in front of this chart right like sort of saying guys because you know the, how you present it is always like a big part of that so like i understand in a written document sometimes you know people like you're always taught to be various of direct like you know the reason people you writing is they're hearing your opinion so don't use passive voice you know like all the things we've learned about writing so i understand in this paper why you're taking that um but i do think the reason it matters though comes back to like like this is an example of like hey maybe we all believe in it we believe in chef but like you'll hear everybody complain about like oh that's just marketing the marketing people like Mm. and that's what i think people are often complaining about is like they're citing things that i don't relate to about 
general you know human race or people will always say they don't want to be sold to or they don't want to be marketed to well you know the flip side of that question is like you're probably selling your marketing something so did you make how authentic were you right so that's why i just try to point this stuff out is like try to if we're all more authentic it'll be a lot better and we'll stop having you know like all the bad commercials where it's like you know you know make twenty thousand dollars with one hour a week you know it's like no it's like just <laughs> tell me what you know tell me something more honest and you know maybe yeah. that's going to be more relevant or, or so, those or those right, so that's the, those those faux handwritten sides on the side of the highway like what what the fuck is up with that it's like i know what you're doing that's that's no yeah, good i'm on, i'm on to you I'm yeah on to yeah you. in in summary of this point as always go read the halo effect done <laughs> yeah done, done. all right well that's good but i do want to keep going because i want to like now that we've talked about that there's a quote in here that is so a plus plus like my favorite part of this paper um and maybe the most well-done thing I've seen in a long time mm. is the quote from Andy Jassy. Is it Jason Jassy? CEO of Amazon Web Services. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you caught that. but I. So what they did in here, right, is they're making the case that there's like some public and private cloud, which is good. But the quote from him that they cite is like, most enterprises are going to operate in hybrid mode for many years to come. And then they attribute it to Andy Jassy, CEO of Amazon Web Services. And they said, I guess he said it at reInvent 2016. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. Like, one, I'm amazed. Like, I need to just go look. Like, was that actually cited from an original, like, press article? Or did they just someone hear him say that? Or, like, did they just watch the video? Because this, you know, this is the inverse of what we're talking about, how this makes it seem incredibly authentic, about why you're reading this paper, right? And about why automation between public and private clouds and all your environments is going to be something you got to figure out for the coming years. Because when you are citing, you know, the most staunchly uh, pro-public cloud uh, company in the world, and mm. you, there's not only that you're citing the leader of that group. Like nothing is more powerful. Like that gets your attention. It's like, and it also I think it really relates. Like I just this one sentence, I think real. If I'm a, a director of IT or you know CIO or CISO, like you're kind of just sort of like it's permission to think like yeah, you know, like I'm not going to have everything in the public cloud, and it's not just going to magically get it fixed next year. I mean, even the guy from AWS that wants me to do this thinks it's going to be a multi-year kind of thing. So it's like it just sort of like gives you, you know, kind of like. A little bit of the the group hug, like yeah, this is a hard problem. Even the <laughs> the best of the best are thinking about it, and you know I and and Dan, you know I should keep reading this. So so this is the inverse of like this. Uh, it's probably like I don't know 50 characters. This quote, I don't know how many. It's very short, and it's to me the most powerful line in the entire paper. And I think it's just awesome. And I was like, I'm I don't know. I'm almost you know this is back to what you're saying before. Like in, the inside baseball here is like, you know, one thing as vendors like to do, we like to read each other's stuff and. Like, man, I'm going to rip this quote off somehow. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but uh, it's just great. So I love that part of it. Yeah. No, yeah, you, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I neglected to think that deeply about it, but you turned me around because I saw this quote and I was like, oh, this is completely incredible because it's just from some other vendor. But no, you're right. In, in this, this instance proves that general heuristic of mine, right, that um, using vendor claims to prove the state of reality is useless, <laughs> right? Like the, <laughs> the minus one on that is, is the case study of a vendor's IT department, right? That's, that's uh, often done early on in enterprise stuff. You, you know, you're, of course your IT department tries to use your stuff and they write a case study about it and you're kind of like, mm, I don't know, right? Like that's a little like, that's like a parent doing a case study of how brilliant their kid is. Like, it's not really like uh, that credible, but but as as you just pointed out, the because because of all the background, because of everything you said, that it, it it does make it a much more powerful quote because it's it's like even these people uh, say that you're going to need to do all this stuff. So no, that is good. They 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 did forget to put a period at the end of it, but maybe they were confused. That's well. That was my only my only thing was like, <laughs> if there's a comma or a period, <laughs> like if, what if there's a comma and, and another clause here? I mean, I retract what I said. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, it would be it would be great if it was if it was do that. Um, if it was like but for many no years ellipse, to come, comma for companies comma. that want to fail. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, that's that's the uh, so it is. This is maybe the one place actually punctuation really matters. So they didn't use an ellipse. So I felt 
I felt like they just forgot to put the period yeah. in it. Um, but if there's a comma, yeah, that's just not good. Not good, people. Not yeah. good on that. Well, so. we'll we'll have to find out. Yeah, no, no. It's it's. Ex- let's see if I a quick Google search shows that it's pulled from some article that's been duplicated everywhere. So. So who knows? Okay, good. So they're good. They're in good standing. Then. Yeah, yeah. No, no, but that is good. And and uh, so so then so then I, I just want to finish out the audiences, right? So the the buyer, if you will, the the end user, clearly clearly good for them for thinking about things and making the case. And 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 again, I think the argument being made here is a hundred percent accurate. Now, of course, the answer is you should come to us, pivotal people, instead of chef. But whatever. That's that's uh that's uh whatever the and out the the saying is for that that's often the weeds there um but uh i think i think another another audience you have uh, which is kind of the reverse of what you're saying is basically your inside salespeople, right um or people at a booth you would print this up and you know give it away as white papers but uh, i'll just use inside sales to mean your low touch high volume uh sales model and you know i've i've, I've worked with inside salespeople. They're 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 salespeople who don't want to move or travel a lot. Sometimes they're more junior people, not always. They're sitting in a uh, boiler room, so to speak, and they're just working the emails and the phones and trying to get Salesforce to be fucking useful, right? And Marketo and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, and so this is the kind of thing that, like, you know, you would send one of those emails and be like, "Hey, I saw you are interested in in this paper. If you downloaded it, although there's no lead gen, so it's a little weird, but." You know, if you were interested in this paper, they would email you and ask you if you wanted more information, send you stuff. But this is probably the kind of paper that they could be like, hey, thanks for coming by our booth. I saw you were interested in insert interest here. Uh, like, you know, check out this paper and tell me what you think. I'd love to catch up on you or catch up with you. And so I, th- I think this would be a great paper for that uh, that kind of effort. And then, like, I think also on the vendor side, you could use it for just raw material, right? Like, I mean... If I look at the aspect ratio of many of these charts, it looks like they were just taken from PowerPoint slides already, but uh, they would fit very well on on many slides. I bet there's a lot of internal emails where they're like, "Hey, could I get the originals of those uh, to put to put in their PowerPoints?" And and God only knows if over there in Chefland they use Keynote or like Google Slides or PowerPoint. It's probably like a clusterfuck, just like anywhere else. No, where... I know, no, I was told. I did some. I, am I? Uh... At the the conference, I was asking around, and the word is they're using Google uh, uh, presentations, mm. I guess the Google Docs version. And there's there's some controversy there. There was some controversy <sighs> about having them. to use that. So so good luck to them. So yeah, so this is probably available to everyone at Chef as a Google presentation. Yeah. So good luck. And then and then finally, I mean, just to make sure we don't run out of time, I, I think I think analysts can be really arrogant and persnickety, but I think this would be a very useful paper for analysts to, with a little bit of context about who Chef was, you could read this and get a sense of what Chef thought of themselves and how they positioned themselves and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, I don't know, aside from people who listen to this podcast, who find talking about this entertaining, those are the three audiences. And I think it, it serves them all well. So uh, what, what, what should we tackle next? What's What are some other... What do you want to go over? Well, I think the um, the 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 place I did, I, I did think on slide number or sorry, slide uh, page nine. Right? You know, at the, at this at this point for you and me, it's all slides, slides and charts. Yeah, it's all slides. It's all I talk about. Slide nine, but I do think that's a good example of a good. I thought they did a pretty good job of uh, a feature benefit ma- matrix there, right? Like, oh, yeah, I think yeah, this yeah. is probably taken from a slide, but like you know, this is sort of getting towards the end of it. But you've kind of been set up, and you're like, well, what does this thing do? And then you kind of have like a nice, um, you know, kind of like the the anchor text and you know, build, deploy, manage, right? So they're kind of calling out their core features. Mm-hmm. They're giving you a little bit about the benefits of each one, a little description of each one, and I thought like that like that was actually very satisfying toward the end of this like you're like okay what do i you know i've made it this far um what do i need to know and i i thought this was sort of like the the thing that you could maybe like in um in in mac you know when if i was going to screenshot something and and uh and uh, crop it like this would probably be it be like yeah someone would be like what does chef do i would crop this yeah and then put the title like chef's features at the top and i'm like really like it just a real digestible um feature benefit matrix which is sort of like what a lot of times like you're just trying to get to to like okay what exactly do we need what does this do and that's a great way to compare other vendors or it's a great way to just fire off an email to someone like okay this is what they say is this what you're talking about that kind of thing no no i agree i I mean i i I can only imagine in your day job at mega big co how hard it is to get a slide like this (laughs) but 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 i i too have uh suffered through trying to make and also consume many of these and it is um 
Um, well, it helps that Chef basically has one product used in three different ways in, in their portfolio. So you can you can reduce it down to that. But, um, you know, they don't have to put AI and machine learning in this somewhere or, or God forbid, blockchain. Um, but, yeah, no, it is good. Like, like often, even internally at a company, not to mention in a sales process, when you want to kind of introduce and sell something, you, this is a good educational slider. And I think it's it's a good... It's a good example of my 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 principle of like, you know, most corporate presentations are a Word document accidentally printed in landscape, right? Like this really <laughs> right. would do – it would be much more effective if people could read portrait printed out presentations and was a document. But such as the world is, this works out well, right? But uh, yeah, no, I, I think – I think that's good. It kind of expresses that. And to your point, right? This is this is the part of the paper where you're 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 going into the hustle, right? You're you're winding up into the uh why you should give chef money uh instead of someone else. So so it starts to work out uh starts to work out there. And then, you know, you go into the um the metrics that I was kind of not kind of I was incorrectly railing against <laughs> at the start. You you go into the metrics which are lifted from the DevOps report, right? Which which only as a historic note, right? Like it is, it is a, um, the DevOps report is pretty much cleaned up from being a puppet instrument of profit. Uh, see, there's some alliteration for you there. Um, it's pretty, it's an illiterate thing. They got their own foundation, blah, 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 multiple sponsors. But it is, it is a historic moment between chef and puppet that chef is using a puppet, uh, marketing thing in its marketing documents. So, right. Know, we can all well, get do you along. Think the metrics. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, it is kind of good to like, and I think in this case, it makes sense because they're sort of like, they are jointly aligned and just promoting DevOps, which is mm -hmm. mostly what these metrics are just trying to show. Like, And I think, you know, this is kind of a nit, but like, you know, I don't know exactly why, but these metrics should all be on one page, right? These three, mm. these tables are a little bit big, yes. like, but really all like slides, uh, slides, you know, can't even, I can't get rid of it. Pages 10 and 11, um, you know, there's a lot of white space and really, this is a good, powerful information, and it should all be put in one page because then you can kind of just look down it and pick, and it makes it real easy for the reader to pick the metric they're most interested in. It's gonna, they're going to fill in the problem they have yeah. with the headings, and then they're going to be drawn to that number. And just putting it on one page would make it very easy for them to be like, yeah, you know, I just want to do stuff faster. Or I want to be more efficient, or I'm the the audit guy. Like it's even funny. Like this is like this just shows you in my mind. Like, it, and I know this isn't what they meant, but it like by putting the risk and compliance on a separate page, right, by itself. It's <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, it's sort of like the implicit problem of like why DevOps. It's like oh, and the risk and compliance guys versus it being like the headline, right? You know, like a part of the core thing that's just emphasized, right? Like it almost looks like this page was inserted and people didn't want to go back and just like, you know, adjust the fonts or whatever, you know, do the yeah. text. Um, and again, like I know I'm being overly critical here, but but again, you know, form over function sometimes, right? Like this reinforces like where's the risk stuff, what it is versus it all being on one page and it really giving you kind of the menu of benefits. Because like I don't think the specific numbers are all that important. What I do like about it is it gives you order of magnitude. So you kind of get a sense if you're new to it, like as an auditor, it's like, wow, these guys are actually telling me. I could do an audit on demand, right? And like in the world of auditing, that is that is a huge claim, right? You know, just the fact someone's going to make that claim is going to get your attention because they really are audits like run, you know, ninety three months, eight months, six months, like with no problem. So, yeah. so good data. I think good data. I think the format decent, but like you missed opportunity putting it all on one page that and making it real easy yeah. and then kind of like the implicit like we don't like audit you know you could definitely do better than that but uh but good stuff yeah now that is that's an incisive thing to notice i mean i like i'll follow up on that but i also noticed this is obviously done intended to print out because you'll see the alternating orange bar like on both sides of the pages as it goes which is uh so they'll be printing this up somewhere Either that or whoever they had, <laughs> okay. whoever they had. It's, al it's also always fun when you get a white paper to look at the uh, the inspector pane and see. Sometimes they leave author names in there, but they they outputted this in Adobe InDesign. So good on them. Uh, anyways, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, no, I think I think you're right, right? And 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 the problem becomes so one. They could have done a couple of things here. They could make 
the table's a lot smaller, which I think actually would be fine. And they could even put them on the left side and then the definitional stuff on the right side. But what I would have tried to do, if, if I had thought of what you, I probably wouldn't have even thought of what you're saying, which makes it a good observation for me, is uh, the issue they have here is they feel like they needed to define these things. And I, trying to fix your problem, I would have defined those things before, before, before in a little paragraph to be like, the things you need to focus on are these, and they, they mean this. Or I would have just not defined them at all. Because they are pretty, like, they're pretty obvious. You could do, I think, I think the weak fallback is to have the appendix where you define things, which you see every now and then, which is fine. We saw that in one of the first two white papers we looked at, which I think is fine. But yeah. I don't think they need to define these things under here. It'd be much more powerful to have it on uh, on one page. That's that's a good one. So so then yeah, there, there's a lot more stuff as always written up in our uh, extensive show notes. Despite last time not being exp- extensive, then we get to as you say <laughs> slide twelve, <laughs> which which is the <laughs> the chef automate burger. It all comes together here. Yes. And, oh, the burger, baby. Architecture, so, baby. And, and, then, and then we'll round out with the case study and other commentary. But, like, I, I don't know. I mean, there's not really much to say about this. I mean, earlier, I complimented them on figuring out their uh, their portfolio and strategy. I think that's good. And uh, they got the burger here, right? Like, and uh, no problem. I think I think this is another one that fits into the utility of this work, which is, like, this is um, – this burger and, indeed, these pages. Like, these pages – I'd have to read them more closely, but I'm pretty sure you can cut and paste these into every single white paper that they would ever write. Um, these, uh, this burger can just be easily used across stuff, right? This is this is the last slide in every single chef presentation, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, uh, it's definitely like we have a we have a burger slide like this, and I I don't make it the last slide. I have a thanks slide, but it's sort of the last point that I tend to make. It's the uh, please try my product. And uh, I think they do it well here. Well, I know people uh, – I was going to say people may – there's always a lot of talk. Like I was um, – someone that was sort of new to product management, I was explaining to him like kind of like one of the things we end up doing. I call you know, burger slide, architecture, whatever. At some point, you have to create one of these things. And there's – I think most people, when they first experience it, they feel kind of dirty. There's like this like rejection <laughs> of this idea. And I was uh-huh. trying to explain that a good one of these is like – what you're trying to do is visually explain your point of view, your company's point of view around how to solve something, right? That is like in some generally well understood set of problems. So that's what we're seeing here around, you know, their attempt to like continuous uh, automation. So it's like, I do think these, they do often like it's something people rail against, but I, I, they, when done correctly, they play an important purpose because really what you're saying is like, this is the one picture you can show that, shows my company's point of view in this market right and that gives that visual right because human beings we like it's much easier to see things right big pictures than it is to like remember lots of text it's like that's the thing we can carry around us and start to compare it against other things and build mental models so you know i like it i mean i've seen them do it a couple times i'm like i get it makes makes sense and it serves its purpose well for chef and 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 to your i mean the the way the way you uh defended the burger (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so to speak, is uh, no, it's good. And and this one is concise. It's not overloaded, right? If you have a burger that's like, you know, too big, then you can't stick that in your mouth, so to speak. So you got to make sure it's the right size. And, uh, you know, I, I would just add to that before we get to the case study and wrap up that I think um, if you don't have a burger to add to your junior product marketing person, you're going to end up, if things go well in the meeting, you're going to end up standing up and doing something on the whiteboard, right? Like you're going to have a burger. It's going to happen. Right, you're gonna have to say how everything stacks up and how it fits together and kind of draw it out. And indeed, in my experience, the best burgers come from whiteboarding sessions in the field. Right, like I think the um, uh, the famous value line burger that we have at Pivotal was something that James Waters, who's like a master burger maker, uh, burgermeister maybe. Uh, anyways, he uh, he had been doing that in the field for a <laughs> long time. When we were finally like, dude. We got to make a, a chart out of that. And so uh, that's that's where you kind of like road test and come up with these burgers is what you end up whiteboarding when when the when the 30-minute meeting turns into a 45-minute meeting and then the admin gets called to cancel it and it's a 90-minute meeting. And like you're going to end up at the whiteboard burger and all over the place. So it's, it's good to uh, just come with a burger pre-made. So then finally, you know, now that I look at the ordering of this, what, what's, what's your take on where a case study goes in a paper? Well, normally I would have said 
that they should have wo- uh, woven the case study up kind of like it, earlier in. And sometimes I like it when it's done as like it's a separate like call out, right? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like you're reading along and then you can kind of jump over and read the story part as soon as you want. Um, so one, so normally I would say that, and I do think you could potentially do it here. And even if I actually read the case, I, I was reading it, and I was like, hmm, not so sure. But what they're really trying to do, and at the end I got it, was they're trying to get you to like go read another p- document, right? So yeah. they have this, I guess, a much longer Gannett case study. Um, so given that, that tactic that they're really – kind of saying like go over here and i assume that case study that document is 100 percent devoted to the case study i'm okay with what they did um normally like you would have i would have wanted like a little bit more like before and after like you know kind of like what some kind of metric or something more around like really why was it better and i do like it sort of mixed in with you know maybe before my certainly before your your burger slide as you talk to but maybe kind of around those metrics in between yeah. those metrics because it's sort of like after i read the feature benefits now tell me a story about how someone had successful success and then tell me about the metric you know the metrics sort of implied you know you kind of could just read the metrics as being the thing that happened in the case study even if they weren't so so i would probably push it up but um like i said in the case of like since they're trying to push you to another document i understand why they put it at the end yeah yeah so so i got two things to say to that one well for let's assume that this is a perfect case study for this right like and you can tell what my second point is going to be uh i would have put it like before the burger right like i i, I just like you're saying i like i, I like a case study that shows me that all this jibber jabber you've been talking about is real and that people are doing it. And then I'm like, all right, show me your burger. Right. Like, so I, I, let me, I'm trying to think like, yeah, I would just, I would insist the case study was not at the end here. Right. That, that it's uh it's before the, the burger hustle. So, uh, and then, and then my favorite, I think, I think when the first one we did, that was like the uh, whatever consultancies, digital study, like they peppered, full page case studies they had like three case studies throughout the paper and i think that was a good way of doing it um i forget if i liked them or not but that's that's the good sort of pacing that i would do the second thing is like so the case study on its own right um i like newspapers (laughs) right and 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 uh no doubt i'm not arguing if this is a legit case study but i think the issue that i always have with media company case studies is that their needs for infrastructure, software, and DevOps, I don't think are quite as universal as you would want them to be, right? Um, and to some extent, I also put retail on this bucket, depending on what you're talking about in retail. But if the needs you have are for um, high-scale web stuff, then it's a little not globally applicable enough, right? Like you can be all IoT and petabytes of data and stuff and be like, oh, we all have, we all should be going to the Velocity Conference, right? But at the end of the day, right. like it's better to have a more general purpose case study than than the needs that a publishing company has or an e-commerce company has. Now that said, it could be the case that if you spend the extra energy to kind of generalize what they're doing, right? I mean, if all you're proving is that like they move faster doing this, blah, 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 that's fine. But I think that a from the financial sector, I think is the go-to place for a case study, right? Because- one, they're huge, right? So, and they usually have brand name, um, and so they're going to meet all your criteria of being big uh, that you know you're going to have. And then two, they have all of of the types of applications you want: applications that only have 50 users, applications that have 10,000 users. Um, and so, if you can win over a bank, you can kind of win over anyone. And also, banks are good because banks. And financial companies are some of the earliest adopters of new technology because they got lots of money and uh, they can afford to. So you can often rustle those up early in the chain. So, you know, I would move the case study up earlier. And Chef has plenty of case studies, right? Like they, and, but and I, w- I would pluck out a bank uh, or a financial institution to do it. And in fact, um, it's probably still the case. But as I recall, like one of the best, if not the best white paper I ever read was this case study of uh, Standard Bank and Chef in South Africa. And uh, I picked it up as, as a paper printout and I read it a few days later and I was like, this is fucking amazing. Like it was a really good, I'll put a link to it. It was a really good white case study white paper. Uh, and it was it was extremely well done. So generally my, my default advice, your case study should be a financial institution. Um, that's that's going to get you the biggest bang for the buck. So then, um, I don't know. What, what, what yeah, do you think? it's interesting. I was going to say, 
I was just say just to wrap on the case study. I mean, I think you're interesting. Like, I haven't. I'm not as familiar with how many they have, but it's just like I just think it comes down to like, you know, the best that you have. Like, you know, and I'm really sympathetic because it's just like you may have lots of customers, but like doing a case study for lots of reasons, it's just a very painful, hard process. Yeah. So, so I always come back to like, you know, you just got to take what you can get. Obviously, you always want like a really well-known company, but most of the time they don't want to do it, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, if you've got a stronger one, and especially that's kind of what you're saying, if, if there's some better ones, then definitely uh, move it up, you know, because that's obviously the thing that, like, you know, it's almost like a, when you're uh, constructing your conference agenda as a vendor, right? It's like if you have customers mm. willing to talk, like they go first, you know what I mean? Like that's always the thing. It's yeah. like, yeah, like, let's, and if, and if you don't, right, if you're, or when you're out, of them, then you say okay. Then you put up your own people, right? So um, I think kind of similar rule for case studies, right? Yeah, like yeah. the stronger, the better they are. Like get them up, you know, get them earlier in uh, in the flow. That was the gold gold plating tactics I was going to add. Is that uh, one of the things? I, case studies are difficult, and and um, the way that gets processized in the industry is annoying. <laughs> I won't say more about that, but the. The hack that I have is exactly what you're saying is I spend a lot of time uh, for Pivotal and, and if I cared about other people looking for presentations that companies have done and making that my case study, right? Because whenever you have someone stand up and do something, one, it's already public. So you more or less don't need to ask for permission, at least the way that I do things in my weird role. Um, and two, they're going to be very genuine and open and, and you can directly quote them. So I think always be on the lookout for presentations that your customers have done and like pay the $50 to get a transcript made and watch it five times and just proactively extract out interesting anecdotes that they have. Um, and if you got some, some content blogger people, just have them systematically go right up every single presentation your customers have given, ever given where they positively talk about your stuff. And then you'll have a good, a good pool of case studies and most, more importantly, anecdotes that you can just pull to get from. And as an example, to go on and toot my own horn, like there was, um, at the Cloud Foundry Summit in the North America, the, the U.S. Cloud Foundry Summit a few months back, a pivotal customer, Liberty Mutual, came up. And, and I hope none of this sounds kind of like rapacious or whatever. Like, I mean, it's all genuine and it, it's the hustle, right? Um, but Liberty Mutual gave a presentation about how they had worked with Pivotal to expand into the Australian insurance business. And there's just like no end of good one-liners and anecdotes about challenges they faced and how Pivotal helped them or didn't, how their own way of changing helped them. And then finally, the ultimate quote from there was that um, they had, in the Australian market, the industry average for the strike rate, which is to say, uh, when you try to sell insurance from someone, when they actually sign on the line that is dotted, so your success, the industry average is 20%, which is pretty good for an activity like that, I would think. But they were able to get double that up to 40% strike rate um, by doing all of this hoopla digital stuff, right? And so like, I think it, I think it's really good to like always be collecting, like start up a Google Doc or whatever it is you use, Apple Notes, and just start writing all that shit down because I guarantee you, you're going to use it coming down the uh, the line there. So case studies. You always, always got to know that stuff. So I didn't actually recommend this, but since we can go over a little bit, I kind of skipped over the recommendations page, which I guess is the criticism of that page. <laughs> right? <laughs> like I didn't even, until I was looking at it now, I didn't realize this was here. I thought that was just the end page, but it is kind of the, there is kind of, let, let me look at this. There is kind of a, there's multiple call to actions here, which which I think is actually fine for a white paper, but this the last slide 15, as it were, um, I prefer recommendations to be at the very beginning, right? And to kind of know what's going to be recommended. I mean, again, that's just my style, but this recommendations page kind of gets lost. And in fact, I think if you move the case study to above the burger, it would flow better, right? Because you're like, you're reading the burger, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, case study. Well, th thankfully, I'm thankfully I'm done with that because the next page always just about chef. And yes, I know they're awesome and the copyright. But then boom, there actually is the call to action here on page 15, which kind of gets lost, uh, which is a bummer. And I don't know, the content of it is fine. I think you should always be careful using the word, I'm doing some off the cuff here, using the word reality. That's a little too much like cloud or die in there. Accepting hybrid cloud, <laughs> cloud reality across multiple dimensions or accept, you should accept the hybrid reality across multiple dimensions, cloud, containers, and architecture, which is like, yeah, okay, buddy. <laughs> but 
anyhow, those are fine recommendations. But again, I think those would be much better served. You know, Gartner kind of does this every now and then. But uh, just put those right up at the beginning and be like, this is what I'm going to end up telling you. So this is what I'm telling you now. Now let's go. So um, I don't know. kind of gets lost down there. Did you actually yeah, even notice this page? Yeah, I think they page? definitely could. But uh, I, mean, I did. I think I think you're right. I think Gardner does do a good job. Like they usually have like the summary, executive summary, and then they have the re- like recommendations right below it. So I think they could definitely do that. But I also think the reason I guess I it doesn't stand out to me as like a, maybe hugely obvious thing. It's just sort of like in a presentation, a lot of times you know you're you're gonna open your strongest points, and a lot of times you want to close on those same things, right? So it's like it's fine. Like I was like, okay, they're just kind of closing out. Um, and if they had the space, like in this case, I bet you they sort of like, well, we're going to do this uh, about Jeff blurb and the copyright. And they're like, well, let's go ahead and jam, you know. So I think it's fine. I was like, okay, yeah. It's like if you're just kind of – because the one thing I like is that the paper opens with three strong bullets. It ends with some bullets, right? Like you could yep. probably just read – you know what I mean? Literally just read that first page, last page, and you got 50% of the content. So, um, you know, I think it's fine. I think, again, that's like a minor, a minor point. Move it up. Could yeah. be a little stronger, but it also works like this. Yeah, too. no, I, I, I mean, clearly for the purposes of what we do here, I'm kind of artificially uh, coming up with some commentary. But I think I think I wouldn't have even noticed if the case study was not between this and the burger, and I would have just uh, gone on and be like, "Yep, you got to close. See you later." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the call to action does that. That's what I think you're pointing out, right? Like, yeah. I think when you say when you end a page with "download the white paper" and that's the ending of the page 14, that you are kind of telling the audience it's over. It's kind of like in credits, you know what I mean? So yeah. the fact that you do uh, have like a, if you will, uh, a little scene at the end of the credits, like, yeah, it's not going to be seen by everyone. So yeah, yeah. Well, I'm with you on that. Well, well. So before we wrap up, I mean, I, I keep, I know, I keep saying that, but I just have one. I have, I have a few like Cote's three to four nitpicks about corporate content. And one of my primary ones is for fuck's sake, learn how to put a link into a PDF. Right. And, and it's interesting. It's inconsistently done in this paper. At some point they even put a URL as a footnote, which is just unfathomable. Uh, you know, it's just like, I love it when you see a, a book and they've printed out one of those URLs that just has a GUID in it along with, with, uh, what's obviously like, you know, it's, it's, it's got the little hash sign with some junk after it because, you know, they, they copied it from tracking on Forbes somewhere. It's just like, for fuck, Jesus Christ, right? Like someone needs to go to whoever trains copy editors and put that in their book. But that was a fun rant. Um, sometimes they have links that are real links in this paper, and sometimes they don't, like the Jassy link. Is but let me tell that. you, like, let's let's really go way off topic. It's like, I'll tell you, like, one thing I've noticed, I just did this the other day, Microsoft Word on a Mac, right, like, for the longest time, if you exported something in PDF, it would not. Oh, that drove uh, me crazy. The links, as out. you can imagine. Okay, and then they, but then they, I the other day, I, I just the other day I was doing it, and I, I much like you, if you're gonna put a link, make it clickable, right? It's like so in the newest version, there is a setting, right? When you go and you actually say save as PDF, it will say save as like print version, which won't have the link, or like online electronic version, mm. which. Um, does actually go through and put it on the link. And I am like, I truly did wonder. I wanted to know the story of like why in the world this has to be a radio. Because uh, So this is the reason I'm bringing this up is like there must be something in the software or the licensing or something that is making it really difficult to like export these links because it can't be – it can't just be like people don't want to do it. Like I think there must yes. be like some weird licensing thing that's like we don't understand. So if this was InDesign, Adobe InDesign, like I'm guessing there's some reason. Yeah. So anyway, all right, all right. Like yeah, a yeah, long yeah, rant. Let's 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 just let's just tear into this triple overtime bonus here, right? Like, <laughs> like yeah. I got I got I have like a double Syracusean like realm of thoughts on all of this, right? Obviously, right? So one, oh my god. The fact that you can't the, the the worst thing about this word thing you were describing is it will export a PDF that renders like it's a link that like will make it blue with an underline and then it's not a fucking link. It's just like for fuck's sake. Right. Right? Like do not yes. this is terrible. Yes. Right? So first of all, if I have a link in the material, it needs to print out a PDF of the link. Second of all, I'm no printing press person, but I feel like if it's going to look the same, the PDF might just should just be linkable anyways, right? Like there's no to your point, there's no reason to have this radio button, like what's the difference? So third, and I think I think you've hit on it, which is 
to be all overly analytical and kind of like to reverse engineer some stuff. I think this is a good thread that you pull on that shows how much Microsoft didn't understand and missed the boat on the internet and the web, right? So Office is is the biggest revenue generator for Microsoft, right? So it's like it's like a big fucking deal. It, it's a big deal at, for Microsoft. And there are two things. One, the fact that this has persisted so long shows that the people product managing and programming this are not internet and native enough people that they're not as incensed as I am. And they're like, I'm quitting if we don't fucking put links in here, right? Like this is just <laughs> odious and right. counter to my existence as I would be, right? Um, I don't know. I would check what my vesting plan was and stuff like that before I threatened to quit. Um, but uh, so you got that. Now, second, there's another evidence of this. I don't know if you've noticed this, Brandon, but have you ever tried to change the colors that a link renders in in PowerPoint? Long pause. No, not now, lately. What happened? There is, there is a very weird way to do it, but it's basically impossible, <laughs> right? So depending on the colors that you have, let's say you wanted to have a blue background or a purple background, an unclicked link and a oh, clicked link. Right. You're fucked. Right. Yeah. And then I can't yeah. go into my yeah. footnotes and my citations and link things up like a good boy should. Right. And like I got to figure weird stuff yeah. out. And it's just like so annoying. You can change so many things in PowerPoint, but you can't change. You can't easily change the color of links like that should just be like another thing. But it's like hidden somewhere deep down in the templates or the page setup or something stupid. Right. It's just like give me a setting in that goddamn ribbon of yours. Or maybe it's hidden up in the menus. Like I, the fact that I have to bounce between those two things is equally annoying. But like, just let me set the color, man. Right? Like, eh. uh, anyways. But I'm with you. I'm with you. Again, yes. it's, it's further evidence that, like, at its core, maybe they do now, but at its core, for a long time, Microsoft wasn't sort of like a web native. Like they didn't understand this point. So, well, in summary, this is a really good. This is an A minus A white paper. This is good stuff. It, it would be hard to do better than this white paper. Uh, and it's uh, it's a fantastic piece of material. And, you know, I should note that we are, of course, biased because we're, we're good longtime friends of Matt Ray who works at Chef. I'm pretty sure he's vested uh, easy retirement amount of uh, stock if this company doesn't crash and burn. So all the best for Chef. You guys are doing you, y'all. You folks are doing great. <laughs> um, That's right. Keep so, it up. Keep yeah. it up, Chef. Yeah. Although I feel like we've criticized things enough not to mention a link rant. Uh, to uh, show that we're, we're unbiased. So as always, this has been, let me look this up so I can at least say it consistently in this podcast. This has been the Software Defined Talk Members Only Podcast, White Paper Exegesis. Uh, you know, you're already probably a patron over there at patreon.com slash SDT if you're listening to this, or one of our patrons is trying to make you one by pirating this and sending it to you, which we fully endorse. You should send this around to people who you think might be interested there are some extensive show notes this time, unlike last time, that I'll put a link to in the uh, the show notes and whatever that, that you can find. Uh, if you have any ideas for white papers you might like us to read, feel free to send them. The best way to do that, you could send it to us on Twitter but or even the Patreon thing. But if you go to our Slack channel, uh, which you can find by going to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash Slack, uh, you can go in there, and we, we discuss topics that we're going to do. Uh, we have the general Software Defined Talk channel. It's it's developing into a fun little community. And thanks to uh, Kill SSH with Fire JJ, uh, you can automatically get signed up. You don't have to do the asinine Slack thing where I need to improve, approve you and invite you. So uh, thanks to him for that work. And with that, uh, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>